You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlett. Well, it is the week of Easter. Today is Palm Sunday. And the series that we started last week called The Way, the Truth, and the Life comes directly from Jesus. He made seven different I am statements talking about who he is and how we can understand him and how we can relate with him and how he impacts our life. And one of the I am statements that he made is that he's the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And so last week we talked about how Jesus is the way. Today we're gonna focus in on the fact that he is the truth. And then next week for Easter we're gonna celebrate Resurrection Sunday that he is the life. I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if you've heard the message of Easter for most of your life. My prayer for you is that something, you would remember why you fell in love with Jesus to begin with. And if you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you're here. My prayer is that you would fall in love with Jesus for the first time. But if you've been going to church for a long time, it can be easy to go through the motions, to hear the story over and over and over again, and to kind of become numb to something that is life-altering. Not just life-altering in this life, but life-altering for eternity. And my prayer is that you would experience Jesus, that you would fall in love with him. And the reason that I'm not preaching from the pulpit that I usually have is because today's a little bit of a different thing. I'm just gonna talk to you. It's not really a preaching message. This is me just honestly just gonna share some things on my heart, things that I've learned as we focus in on the fact that Jesus is the truth. I wanna start with this, and I want you to remember this statement because I'm gonna pull this up later, okay? Not this next statement, but I'll tell you the statement I want you to remember. All of us in this room, without exception, are facing things. And in our life, in the past little bit, we've probably faced some difficult things, and right now, currently, all of us have things that we are facing, and sure enough, the way life is, we're gonna have things that we continue to face. And the degree of what we're facing you know, varies. Sometimes what we face is very difficult. Sometimes what we face is very challenging and we're uncertain how to navigate through that. Sometimes what we face, things can be a little bit more calm and it's a little bit more normal, but we have different degrees of what we're facing. But all of us are facing something. And it's one of the reasons why we're always tired. If I was to do a survey of you in the room, if I just, hey, who's tired here this morning? The majority of people would be like, I'm tired. If we're just honest, we're tired. And the reason we're tired is because we always have things that it feels like we're facing. It's what life is. So here's what, I want, here's what I want you to see. It's not just what you're facing. It's how you're facing it. This is a really important thing. It's not just that you're facing something that's challenging or uncertain or you're not quite sure how to wrap your mind around it. It's, it's not just what you're facing that is so difficult. It's how you're facing it that matters. Because I know right now today, and we came up and we're dressed for church and we worship. All that's, I know that there's anxiety in this room. I know that there's a feeling sometimes of hopelessness, defeatedness in this room, of a, of a question of, is, is, is there more? Is there... Are things always gonna be like this? A feeling of of stuckness? An anxiety about tomorrow? I know anxiety is a big one. Fear is massive and it's in this room in a big way. And so the thing is, is that all of us face stuff. 
We're going to face things, and it's not just what you face, it's how you face something. I'm gonna bring this up a little bit later. So, as I mentioned, Jesus today, we're focusing on the fact that he's the truth. And I wanna start off, just, okay, it's a little quick survey. How many of you have someone in your life that at some point sat you down and told you the truth even though you didn't wanna hear it? Anybody? Most of us in this room. Oh my Lord, have mercy. Can we be honest for a second that sometimes we don't wanna hear the truth? You have that person that sits you down and looks at you straight in the eye. I had my mom a couple of years ago. My mom, who brought me into this world and who's supposed to serve you soup when you're sick and be tender and warm fuzzy, sit me down and look me in the eyes and say, Jeremy, you've gotten mean. And I'm like, mom. And she's like, yes, you, you stinker. I was like, okay, mom. I had uh, another situation when I was in college. I went to school to study for ministry and in college to study for ministry, I fell into a partying lifestyle. Do you know the dichotomy of what it's like to write Bible papers and then be doing a bunch of shenanigans that you shouldn't be doing at the same time? That's a whole thing. And I had a friend, when I came into college, my freshman and, and sophomore year, I was on fire for God and then somewhere I began to deviate and then I began to live for myself and then I began to have fun. Now, as a side note, I grew up in a Christian environment in a Christian home and when I was growing up, if you looked at a cigarette, the ground would open up and swallow you whole. And then if you, if you thought about alcohol, then God was gonna return in trumpets and snatch you up. And so I went to college. I know this is a whole random thing. I don't even know why I'm saying this. It's, we're good, okay. I go to college and I'm like, some of these things are fun. And do you know what happened? The ground didn't open up. Angels didn't part ways. Lightning bolts didn't strike me. And then later I realized it, the fun doesn't last. It lasts for a moment. But you, anyway, that's a whole separate thing. I don't know why I got here. So I'm in Bible college and I, I, I fall away and I'm writing Bible papers and I'm studying for ministry and I have a friend sit me down and she just is like, Jeremy, what happened to you? She goes, you were on a path and now when I look at the decisions and choices that you're making, she goes, what's your problem? This doesn't end well. And you know like when someone's telling you something and you just wanna absolutely be like, what's your problem? And she just, I'm like, no, everything's fine. And she goes, no, it's not. And then she said, because this, 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 and this. And the longer she talked, I began to shrink further, further, further in my seat. But I look back now and I'm like, thank God for friends who can tell you how it is, right? <laughs> this is before Renovation Church started. We launched our church in, in uh, October of 2014. And so before Renovation Church started, I know you would never experience this, but I, I was in a moment of my life of ministry. This is my 20th year of full-time ministry. And so this is before renovation started and I was feeling sorry for myself. I know you don't feel sorry for yourself. You're righteous, everything's perfect. I was feeling sorry for myself and I felt, and this is, I, I felt that God owed me. That somewhere God dropped the ball and that he owed me something and I was looking for an exit door to get the heck out of ministry. And so I drive up, visit a, a pastor and his wife up in Virginia, because uh, there's they're someone who actually spoke over our church and they prayed over my wife and I and they prayed over our staff when they set, when Renovation Church launched. And so, but they live in Virginia. So this is before Renovation Church happened. I drive up to Virginia and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the pastor and I'm just letting it come out how, man, all the difficult struggles that I have and the pastor's wife. Now the pastor was a straight shooter. He'd just tell you how it is. But the pastor's wife was this little petite lady, Sister Jerry, and, and, and she's from Belton, South Carolina. To give you an idea. And so here she was, she married a guy. She has a church up, they're up there pastoring, her husband was pastoring a church up in Virginia and she's hearing me talk and she turns and looks at me like the person that I didn't expect and says, she just starts letting me have it. 
I mean, it was like the biggest verbal spanking I've ever had in my life from this sweet little Sister Jerry pastor wife lady. And she's like, do you think the Christians in Iraq have a harder time than you do? That if they follow Jesus and they get persecuted? She goes, so why are you having a bad attitude in your little world down there? And I was like, oh my gosh. And she just, the truth. So a lot of us, we, we, we think we like the truth, but then when someone brings truth into our life, it's not always the thing we wanna hear. So let's just, let's just admit that for a second. The truth isn't always the easy thing. Sometimes the truth is the challenging thing. Sometimes truth is the revealing thing. But I'm not gonna stay in this area. I just wanted to kind of highlight this real quick. Let me give you a quote from Jesus. This is actually from scripture, so I say a quote from Jesus. But I want you to see, this is actually a really well-known verse in the Bible. Even a lot of people who aren't Christians know this verse. This is Jesus talking. He says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So Jesus makes this declaration how we can experience freedom by knowing truth. Now, something I've said like a million times at church, ready? It's not God's power that sets us free. It's God's truth. I always assumed when I grew up that it was God's power, some miraculous thing where he splits the water down the middle and we all walk on dry ground or how God, you could name it, brings down the walls of Jericho or shuts the mouths of lions or feeds the 5,000 or walks on water or even how he resurrects, that it's God's power. And, and the resurrection actually would fall in that category. But I would assume that it was God's miraculous intervention in my life that would set me free of the things that I wrestle with. And yet Jesus says this, it's not his power that sets you free, it's his truth. That our freedom comes from walking and living and understanding his truth. So let me give us a thought real quick, ready? And again, I'm not preaching, I'm just kind of talking with us today, but let me give you this thought. Jesus didn't come to inform us, he came to transform us. So you have the Old Testament, and it's these rules that gets given to Moses, and, and Moses comes down from the mountain, the Ten Commandments, and, and the, by the way, if you read the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with God, the next six commandments have to do our relationship with each other, but it's a guidance on how to begin to live. And, it's, it, and it teaches us, hey, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, or be careful with this. And then you keep reading and there's more things that we can actually follow and live by and it's all guidance and it's all good. And so you would assume when Jesus came that he's gonna come to inform us on how we're to live. And certainly he taught us many, many things. But Jesus' ultimate goal wasn't just to be a good teacher who we look at and say, oh, that's a really nice saying or that's a really nice quote, that's a really nice thought. He didn't come to inform us. He came to radically, from the inside out, transform us. Let me put it to you another way. Ready? Jesus never asked us or commanded us to believe in or trust his ideas. He always commanded us to follow him. And my point is this. He always points us not to the thoughts. He always points us to himself. It is deeply personal when it comes to God. He invites us to know him. So the truth is not information. The truth that wants to speak into our life is a person, a person who wants to walk with us. I wanna show you a passage of scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. John chapter one, and this, when John begins writing the gospel of John, you have to understand, it's written later in life, and I love how John talks about God coming into the world because he doesn't do it the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And it's so poetic to me and it's so beautiful. And I love this. In John chapter one, the gospel of John, verse one, it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
Well, let's stop here for a second. This is just, it's so profound on so many levels. So we can't see God. And that makes this thing really hard because if we could see God, then we could have an idea of what God is doing, right? And how many times do we face things and once we're uncertain how things are gonna go and we say, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Our default setting is to see things so that we can understand things. And yet, here we are worshiping a God who we cannot see. So how do we align these two things to actually be together? Well, faith, the Bible tells us, is not something that we do because we see things. Faith is how we live by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. And so God says this, you may not see me, but you can hear me. So even though we can't see God, it tells us that we're actually meant to hear him. When I was a kid, a lot of you know, I grew up overseas, my parents were missionaries, and whenever you travel overseas and you get your bags together and you get your passport and you go over to different places, you go through customs, immigration and customs. They stamp your passport if you have the right visa or whatever it is, or it might be, and then you have to bring your bags to for them to check that. And when I was a boy, we're flying into South America, and it was just my mom and I traveling. And we get into, I think it was Bolivia, actually, the country we were in. And I was just a couple of years old, I, I, like five, six, seven. I don't remember exactly the age. My mom's actually overseas. I meant to ask her, but I forgot. So she, I didn't get hold of her. But I was a young boy. And my mom and I fly in. And it can be scary when you come into that country because you want to make sure that, you know, you get through and no problems. And so we go through immigration. They stamp our passports. But then we go through customs. And then they do something that they'd never been done to us. They separated my mom and I. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled overseas or been through customs or stuff like that, but sometimes, like one time, I was, my wife and I were living in Nicaragua. We, we, uh, I had a flight back from Nicaragua to Miami. We were trying to get some paperwork done and just for our ministry there to bring it back to Nicaragua. And as I'm going through security at the Miami airport, they put me in a separate special line at the Miami airport that I didn't know existed. It was the, excuse me, sir, but we're gonna extra check you line. The line where they put the gloves on and it snaps, and I didn't think I was gonna make my flight because I had to go through extra, extra security. Now, you know what I'm talking about? They combed through everything because they thought I was smuggling drugs. Sir, excuse me, but what are you doing? I'm like, I have nothing. Like, I'm like, search away. And anyway, so a whole thing. I'm a kid, my mom and I, it's the mid 80s and we're in Bolivia and they separate my mom and I and they take us into two different rooms and they begin asking my mom questions, and they begin asking me questions. Now, here's the thing, I couldn't see my mom, but the way the rooms worked, it was this wooden little structure inside of the airport that the entire time that we were separated, the one thing that I had that made all the difference in the world is that I could hear my mom. Now, my mom is not a shy, bashful lady. My mom will declare God's truth and declare it all day long. My mom doesn't care what people think. She will stop and pray. She'll get people who don't even pray before and get them to start praying. My mom is one of those ladies. So here she is in the customs office. Here I am as a little boy, scared. And what do I have? Even though I cannot see, I have my mom's voice. I can hear her. And she's talking with them. And, and, and that voice, being able to hear it, even though I couldn't see her, I'm telling you, when we talk about who God is, it says this, that even though you can't see God, God is the word made flesh. You can't see him and you wanna see him because if you feel like you could see him or at least see what he's doing, you would have an understanding of what's going on because the thing that you face, you wanna try and have make sense somehow and yet we walk by faith, not by. And the word 
You were never meant to live this life alone and isolated. Remember, it's not what you face, it's how you face it. And even though you can't see God, you are meant to hear him. Let's keep reading. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Think about this, how did God create? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. But think about this. I didn't think about this till just now when I'm preaching. He spoke you into existence. He said, let you be formed. Let the color of your hair and the way that you laugh awkwardly at different situations. Let let the, the formation of who you are. Do you know what happened? It says this, God spoke you into life. He's an awesome God. And then it says this, and I love this. In him was life, and that life was light of all mankind. And then it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So despite how dark the things are that you face, and by the way, God did not create the darkness. We rebelled, sin entered into the world. We wanted to do things our own way, and when we did that, things got jacked all the way up, and you know what God said? Even in the beginning, when we went our own way, God says, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send a plan, and he's gonna crush Satan, and he's gonna set the captives free. In the beginning, God had a plan to redeem us back. So God didn't come into the world to inform us, He came to transform us. It's beautiful. So now I wanna take us to the actual passage of scripture where Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It comes from John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32. Now most of us know that the Bible says that the truth will set you free, but I want you to read the verse before it, which is 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus makes it clear that the truth is all about a person. He is the truth, and if you abide, in other words, truth comes from knowing a person, not information. And if you know him, and you abide with him, and you spend time with him, then you will be free. And it's all about relationship. By the way, that's why you can have people who have been Christians for 50 years, who know, you can have college professors who don't believe in anything but know the Bible frontwards and back and are awful people who make bad decisions. Why? Because it's not the information, it's the person. Transformation's all about a person that we get a chance to work with. You can have all the information of the world and yet if you don't know the person, you're on your own. So it's a person. So let me, let me speak to something in particular though. So God, when he wants to work in our life, and again, I'm not preaching, I'm just talking. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you a tension point. God is wanting to work with us to be truth and to move in our life, but there's tension between how we think God should move and act and work and how God actually wants to move in our life. Let me speak to this. It's kind of a longer one, kind of a tongue twister a little bit, but I want you to have this tension in your mind. Ready? Here it is. When we think about this truth, this person working in our life, What we really want is for God to give us everything so we can enjoy life. This is where a lot of us fall. God, can you give me all the things that I think I need in order to be able to enjoy all these things? And yet that's not how God operates. Let me tell you how he operates. God wants to give us life, why? So that we can find joy through anything. 
So I wanna paint this picture this way. This, this weekend, uh, the men's retreat where the men are, they're, they're doing Psalm 23 and they're talking about how God is the good shepherd. Do you know how many times in the Bible God describes himself to us in the form of shepherd and that we are sheep? And it's, it's pretty incredible. So let me, let me put, put it to you this way. Let me show you some pictures. Here's a picture of what we imagine sheep and grazing looks like. When we think of the good shepherd, he takes us to beautiful green pastures where food is plenty and everywhere. And that's the good shepherd that I like, the God who gives us everything so that we can enjoy life. And so that's what I, I, I think that God should operate in this way. That's my default setting. God, if you give me all these things, then I'll be able to enjoy it. And the other side of it is, God, if you don't give me these things, then somewhere you drop the ball. And I think all of us have had times where we're like, God, where were you? How come you didn't show up in this situation? And so here the sheep are and they're grazing. But shepherding in Israel is very different than what our imaginations are. Let me show you what it can look like to shepherd in Israel. It's not always less grass everywhere. And so what a shepherd has to do is a shepherd has to take his flocks and to guide them up hills and down in valleys and through ravines and there's dangers everywhere. And the way that God describes himself to us and how he wants to be with us is through that of a shepherd. He, in fact, he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. And a shepherd protects and a shepherd provides. Why? Because life isn't a lush valley all the time because you face stuff and it's jacked up and things come out of nowhere and it's challenging and it's difficult. So you know what you need? You need a shepherd who can guide you and who can protect you and who can provide for you. And when things get up, when things are great, he's with you. When things are bad, he's with you. And when there's things coming against you, he can protect you. And when you're not sure how to make it through something, he can guide you in that. He talks about himself in terms of the shepherd. So let me put it to you this way. The good shepherd and truth are one and the same. And he spoke life into existence it's not what you face, it's how you face it. And one of the reasons why we're not free is because when we go and face life, the default setting is that we wanna face it on our own. Let me make another statement, ready? In our country and for a lot of us in this room, we have made being happy our God. We've said that happiness is the ultimate to life. And we, by making happiness our God, and in our country, and the pursuit of happiness, we think that it's God's job to now give us all the things that we might be happy. And yet God never promised that. What God cares about is to make us whole and to transform us and to redeem us and to forgive us. And so the danger is this. God, you're here to make me happy for all the things that I wanna do. But can we be honest for a second? Half the things that we think are gonna make us happy don't make us happy. So one of the reasons why we have a hard time trusting the shepherd's voice is because, and why we default to our own way of doing things is because we know what makes us happy. And if we're in charge, we can do the things that we wanna have happen in our life. And so I know what I want to make me happy and everyone doesn't wake up like, I wanna have a miserable day today. Nobody got up and said that. And yet we live our life doing it on our own. And the good shepherd says this, my sheep hear my voice. And so the, what happens is because we made happiness our God, we put ourselves in charge of making ourselves do the things that are gonna make us happy and we've removed God who wants to shepherd us out of that, not believing that he knows what's best for us. 
And in our pursuit of those things, we've cut God out of the equation. And yet the good shepherd and his truth wants to lead us into things. No wonder why there's so much anxiety in the world. Because we haven't heard the shepherd's voice. And we're not set free. We're bound into these things. We're trapped into these things. So, again, it's not what you face. It's how you face it. I got my wife's permission to share some of these stories. In the last four weeks in our home, so like three weeks ago, my wife is driving, and while driving, my wife had a mini stroke in the car. And she just, I mean, boom. And she had to pull over to the side of the road. And so um, immediately called the doctor. She was okay and, or for that moment, and it passed. And so called the doctor, goes in, and like three weeks ago, schedules an MRI goes in, gets the MRI, and they find a, a growth like up on her spine, right underneath of her brain. And it could be one of three things. It could be an aneurysm, which is deadly. It could be a shrush, shrush, I can't even. It could be another growth or another one they told us. And they said it's one of these three things. And they said the aneurysm is the most dangerous because if that enters in her brain, she will die. And so this all happened recently. And so it's all with permission from her this morning. And so... She, after the MRI, you know, her and I, she, she talks to me, she's I need to get a CT scan because they need to be able to determine with the CT scan what this thing is. We're not sure what it is. We need to figure out if it's an aneurysm and if it is, we need to operate immediately. And so go to get the CT scan and they're trying to do the CT scan and it doesn't work. The stuff that they put in her arm, they actually can't get it to go through and so it doesn't work so she has to, she has to leave. So we're left with, there's three options. One of them's gonna kill her immediately. The other two, we're not sure how it's gonna do. So then she has to go back and schedule another CT scan like three days later. And do you know what that waiting period of uncertainty is like? Anyone in this room, you guys know what I'm talking about? And then you, you do your own, you become your own doctor. You're like, what does this mean? <laughs> Goes back for the second CT, CT scan and that doesn't work either. So then we have to schedule her for the following week at the actual hospital because it's so intense. So we had this period and I preached uh, two Sundays ago, I was in Greenville. I wasn't here. I was in Greenville, and we still had no idea what was going on with my wife. So that, that's one piece of this picture, just uncertain. At the same time, my wife's job started to become in flux. And she's been working, and, and so I said this first service, and now it's out there. So my wife works full time, and she's a, it's just awesome. She, she enjoys work. She works for a company in the area, and she's been there for a while. Uh, in fact, my, my, she's a, anyway, my wife is just awesome. I call her my sugar mama. I, should, I told first service that when she was, my wife was in first service. My wife is our sugar mama at the house. Brings home the bacon. She brings home the cheddar. And so my wife, just to understand, her job's in flux. And so this is before the health stuff. It's in flux. And we're like, we're uncertain as to what's going to happen next. Like, it's got to go open the door for her to work somewhere else. And the finances and how do we navigate this and, and what do we do here? And so anyway, her job's in flux. We're uncertain about that. And, and in the middle of this, you know, so, so in the middle of this is when all the health stuff hits. It's not what you face, it's how you face it. So here we are. And in the midst of this, I watched my wife say, God's got me and it's gonna be okay. Now, I know there's people in the room who have faced cancer. And when you face something like that, you can face it alone or you can say, God's got me and no matter what happens, it's gonna be okay. It's not what you face, it's how you face it. 
And I watched my wife say, no, God's got this. And I remember our daughter, she didn't know about the medical stuff fully all the time, but my wife was bringing my daughter to youth group here at the church and my daughter knows about the job stuff and she's not certain about that. She goes, mama, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go to a new job? Are you gonna stay at this job? What are you gonna, how are you gonna handle this? And my wife says, well, if God opens the door for me to go to a new job, then God's gonna provide that new job. If God is gonna ask me to stay at this place, then I'm gonna stay at this place. God's gonna provide for me there. And what she told our daughter is this, it doesn't matter who writes the paycheck because God is our provider in the home. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The good shepherd, the good shepherd wants to speak to you about how you are living. And when the good shepherd wants to speak to you about how you're living, life is jacked up. It's got valleys and hills and dangers. And the good shepherd does this. He has a, he has a staff and he has a rod. And what he does is he wants to protect you and he wants to provide for you. And how does he do these things? With his voice. Don't do that. Don't go down that path. Don't make that decision. Do this. Walk in obedience. Make this decision. The reason why the good shepherd does these things is because he knows the beginning from the end because he knows your life and he knows what's best for you and you're gonna face some things and he doesn't want you to face them alone. It's not what you face, it's how you face it. And so the truth, Jesus, the way he transforms us is by walking with us. And he speaks truth into our life. The shepherd and the, the rod and the staff are there. Sometimes God corrects us. Sometimes God guides us. Sometimes God provides for us. And here's the thing. It's not just the big issues of our life that God cares about. He cares about the details that would feel like nobody else would know about. I'll give you a little detail. This is a small one. This isn't a big story at all, but it's a small one, significant to me. I have three kids. 13, 10, and four going on destruction. So that's my three kids. And I have a Bible that I used throughout high school and in college. And when my daughter got baptized at our church, I went to her and I gave her that Bible. I said, I've had this Bible for years and I want you to be able to have this Bible. And then I want to be able to have a Bible that I give my son. So my middle son is gonna get this Bible. And this is the Bible that I got right before we started Renovation Church. And as we start, saw God do incredible things, it was a Bible that I'm like, oh, there's some blood, sweat, and tears in these, in these pages. And I'm gonna go to my middle son, and at some point I'm gonna give him this Bible. But I have a third kid, and I didn't have a third Bible. I didn't tell anybody this. I'm like, I need to get another Bible. And I started looking at Bibles, and I'm gonna switch translations. I wanna do something a little bit different. And the translation that I wanted to use is the ESV, the English Standard Version. I said nothing to nobody. I'm like, I need to have a different Bible that I can start using so that I can give it to my third stinker in our house at some point. And so, just the desire of my heart, and I hadn't purchased one yet, and I come into church this morning, and I'm, and I'm getting ready to preach the message, and sitting on my desk is a little package with, with a little present. It's wrapped up, and I open it, and inside of it, someone had gotten me a Bible, and it has renovation logo on it, stitching with leather, and of all things, and they would never know this, it's the ESV translation. So at some point, I'm gonna stop using this one, and I'm gonna start using this one, and then at some point, I'm gonna look at my third kid when they're not, when they're not so young anymore, and I'm gonna say, this is the Bible that God allowed me to use all these years, and I wanna give it to you. That's a detail. Do you know why? Because the good shepherd, ready? The good shepherd knows every detail about your life. And the reason why we're not free is because we're doing life on our own. Because the truth, ready? The truth comes when we abide. That's, that's the good shepherd. We abide with him. We know him. 
Jesus said, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. So here's the question. Remember I asked you earlier, has anyone ever like given you the hard truth? The people who have given me the hard truth, do you know what they have in common? All of those people who have spoken to me the truth, what they have in common is this, I knew they cared about who I am. And so I could trust the things that they were saying to me. So let me ask you a question. How do you know that you can trust? How do you know that you can trust this shepherd? How do you know you can trust him? Simple, two things, really, really easily. And they manifest themselves this Easter. How do you know you can trust him? Because he died for you. How do you know that you can trust the words the good shepherd speaks? Because he gave his life for you. Have you had anyone else give their life for you? Has anyone else willingly given their life for you? So when we think about this, we tend to think, well, God, because I can't see you moving, I can't trust in the things that you're doing. But that's not faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so we have to think differently about these things. And so how do we know that we can trust the things that God is speaking? We can trust the things that God is speaking because who cares about you more than him? And how do you know that he cares about you? Because before you were even born, he allowed his wrists and his feet to be nailed to a cross so that anybody who calls on his name will be forgiven. Who else is like the good? Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd and the, and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. So his death. Here's another reason, ready? His resurrection. And this resurrection is what separates Jesus from everyone else. Many, many, many people have died for what they believe in. Only one rose from the grave. And so Sunday coming up, we gather together as believers to celebrate the life that was resurrected so that we can rally around and worship and praise because not even death could keep him in his grave. So how do we know that we can trust him? Well, we can trust him because he died for you and because he resurrected again. So what I wanna do now is for a moment is this. Today is Palm Sunday. I have no more points in the rest of my message. And I wanna look at a passage of scripture of the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem, which is what today is. It is Palm Sunday. And I want you to see your good shepherd, the good shepherd who you can trust, come in to Jerusalem to be killed. And as you read this, let me, let me give you some, some Bible stuff, ready? I'm gonna, I'm gonna nerd you out just a little bit. And stick with me. If you're not a history person, don't give up. Just track with me. In the Old Testament, the, the Jewish celebration of Passover is the most significant one of the holiday. It's the moment in which the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, God said to be able to, told them to be able to put blood over their doorposts and that God was gonna come in and strike the firstborn in Egypt and that that would be the thing that caused Pharaoh to finally tell the, 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 the Israelites that they could be set free. So the Israelites do that. They put blood on their doorposts and then God comes and strikes and exactly what happens, happens. Pharaoh finally says, okay, take your people and go. It was the blood on the doorpost. And so the feast of Passover is celebrating how they were passed over and God came and brought deliverance to his people. So, but you may not know this. The Jewish calendar today is the day in the Jewish calendar that lines up with Christianity in the most beautiful way that the Israelites back then in their calendar, this is the day, and you may not know this, it's kind of cool. They were, today's the day where they brought the lamb into their home and it had to be unblemished into the home 
that was gonna be the lamb that they were going to sacrifice to use for the blood on the doors. Now, what you may not know is this. They would bring the lamb in and that little lamb would live in that home for a couple of days before they killed it. And on Palm Sunday, on the calendar of Jews, the lamb would come and live with that home with the family for a couple of days until they sacrificed that lamb and then they took the blood and put it on the doorposts. 2,000 years ago, one of the other names for God is ready, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who spoke everything into existence on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago came into Jerusalem. Why? To be killed. So as you read this, I want you to take some perspective of what this means for us, for those of us, when we wonder, God, where are you? When we wonder, God, how come you haven't been there? When we wonder, we, we are so focused on what we see that we missed all the things that God, we missed all the things that God speaks. We miss all that he has done for us. So today, Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, in Mark chapter 11, verses four through 10. By the way, I didn't actually, sorry, before I get this, I forgot to tell you, it was, my wife did not have an aneurysm. She does have two growths. They're small and they're not gonna do surgery, but they're gonna monitor those to see if they get bigger. And so in that time, we saw God provide. And so God is still good. All right, sorry, you're gonna, I totally left y'all hanging. You're like, well, she's alive, she's not here. So <laughs> like, where is she? Like, all right, anyway, sorry. Little ADD. So all right, Mark chapter 11, the lamb coming in. They went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied in the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? This is the disciples, by the way. What are you doing untying that colt? They answered us, Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Um, by the way, God provides. He provided this, verse seven. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in highest heaven. Our good shepherd who is our truth came in to give his life riding in on a donkey for us 2,000 years ago. Angels didn't sing. The sky didn't part in two. You didn't hear trumpets blaring from the sky. He rode on a donkey to be killed. Why? Because the good shepherd loves you that much. He cares about you that much because he knows it's not what you face, it's how you face it. And this good shepherd, here's the thing, the people who are worshiping him, you know what, Every, even Jesus' own disciples, what they all wanted was for Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom, for him to remove the Romans and for him to make Israel this beautiful nation state that would be forever good. And Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He dies and his followers scatter. And everything seems lost, but what they don't understand is Jesus didn't come for an earthly kingdom because earthly kingdoms last but a moment. He came for an eternal kingdom built in our hearts. And of all the places that he could be, the good shepherd leads us to forever and ever with him. And that anybody who declares his name over their life, 
that when we breathe our last, there is no more sorrow, there is no more tears, there is no more brokenness. There is forever and ever and ever where we can see God and hear God. So the good shepherd, he doesn't come in blasting his awesomeness. He comes in riding on a donkey to give his life because he loves you. This is the good shepherd, by the way. This same good shepherd wants to guide you when you leave church. He wants to guide you in your marriage. He wants to guide you with your family. He wants to guide you with your kids. He wants to guide you in your life. He wants to guide you in your finances. He wants to guide you in our world. And he wants to lead you in such a way that you would be set free. It's not what you face. It's how you face it. My prayer is that you would face it with the good shepherd who is truth, who can guide you in a way that no one else can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise your name and thank you because you are good. I know right now in this room that there is all kinds of different things being experienced. There's uncertainty about tomorrow. There's fear over navigating a complex situation. There's anxiety and depression in this room. There are questions deep in our hearts that say, God, is there more to life than this? I know in this room there's hopelessness. And in, the, in your name, the name above every name, my prayer, Jesus, is that we would hear your voice because you do speak. You speak through your word and your word teaches us and your word tells us that we are not alone and that you care and that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. And so Jesus, my prayer is this, is that we would know you, good shepherd, abide with you, good shepherd, and allow your truth to change the way we think, to change the way we live, to transform our hearts so that we would no longer face things on our own, but we would face them trusting and believing and hoping in you. And then, God, we could be living lives that are free, knowing, God, that regardless of how things pan out, you don't change and are always good. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, we love you. I hope if you need anything, any prayer, we'd like to pray over you down here. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.